0: Welcome to Two Paychecks Podcast. This time we interview Kelly Desaint. He's a veteran zine writer and his piltdown lad is a favorite zine of mine. And We're having him on the show to talk about his zine series Behind the Wheel where he started driving for Uber and Lyft to expose the tech economy in San Francisco. This led him to become a proud cab driver and a bit of a lovable crank with a deep distrust for technology. He'll read a piece from his zine about crashing a tech conference on labor that had absolutely no representation for labor, and just to talk about the industry, as well as the gig economy, and the struggles of workers today. So, Kelly, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing good, how are you guys doing?
0: Doing pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Excited to have you!
1: Um, Thanks for having me.
0: We were going to start out with uh, you reading from a piece from your that we asked you to read from your zine, right?
1: Sure, let's do that. Um,
0: and it's basically about you going to be on a panel.
1: Yeah, so I was a uh, I I've been writing on Medium.com um, for a while, as a, which is a blogging platform. And when I first started um, blogging about doing uh, the Uber and Lyft thing, I had been sampling different platforms. I was using Blogspot, I was using uh, WordPress and Medium, and I few others that I, I think I eventually deleted. But I was just trying to find a platform and a interface that, that I liked and worked for me as I was doing this because I'd never done you know, a blog of this caliber before, you know, and I wanted it to be, you know, read. So I wanted to find something that worked well. So Medium is one of the platforms that I used, although I didn't ultimately end up staying with Medium. But through my writing on Medium, I was approached by uh, one of the editors there, Lauren Smiley, and uh, she asked me to be a part of this uh this forum uh, for Next Economy which is put on by Tim O'Reilly and Tim O'Reilly is uh, one of the big publishers in tech he publishes all these uh, manuals and guides they're very distinguishable by their spines because they generally have like little animal icons on the spine or as or part of the title and they're generally different so there's, there's they're recognizable as the O'Reilly you know books and they're uh, they cover every type of software, C to HTML to all this. So they put this um they put this forum on this convention every year. It's like a two-day thing. Then it's called Next Colon Economy. And uh they uh they wanted uh, to have a panel of, of drivers because it was this year it was covering work and employment and the future of work. I went into this thing completely oblivious about what I was doing. At the time, I was separated from my wife. I was drinking a lot. I was driving a cab, like, you know, practically 20 hours a day, coming home, getting drunk, passing out, going back to the cab. So it was sort of a a wild and crazy point in my life. And uh, I was doing things like this sort of regularly and kind of being really gonzo about it. Um, on this, this occasion, I believe I woke up the morning of the convention on my kitchen floor with a giant gash in my forehead where I'd apparently passed out the night before and fell on, uh, ripped my head open on a box on the kitchen floor and, uh, my glasses, I guess, were in the litter box that day. Uh, (laughs) So, so I, you know, dusted myself off, jumped in the shower and as I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I think, Okay. I need to put a suit on because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to go in there and I'm going to represent every single stereotype of a cab driver they they have. So I put on a nice suit, shiny pair of shoes, and off I went to the convention. And uh, as I was uh, on BART, um, I was checking my email and Facebook, and uh, that's when I found out that uh, a really good friend of mine had, uh, had passed away. Uh, he had been fighting cancer for about a year and, uh, it finally, you know, it finally, you know, killed him. So he was a guy that, that when I first moved to San Francisco, he was a major contrarian. He was part of this sort of, Group of what they call pissed off voters. It's an actual uh, group of you know people in the city. They they get together every year for the election and they put out pamphlets and they they sort of promote the the least offensive of the candidates and they sort of make a ruckus at at meetings for the board of supervisors. Super 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 progressive. It's called pissed off voters. Yeah, it's the League of Pissed Off Voters is <laughs> what they're called. So he was he was marginally involved in that. He was also largely involved with the punk rock movement in San Francisco, but he was one of those guys that was not a seamster. He he did a lot, a lot of stuff, and he was in the background doing stuff, booking bands, but he never took credit for anything. It was never about him. He just wanted to hear great music and whatever he had to do to make sure the band got here and played or whatever, he would do that. But anyways, he wanted no credit. He wanted no recognition. He just wanted good shit to happen in the world, and he wanted good shit to happen, and he wanted to stop the bad shit from happening. So he was kind of a guy that, that, you know, a very admirable kind of guy that way, because most people have agendas. They have, you know, their egos behind the things that they do. But this guy did it. And online, he used it. He used a nom to gear. You know, he used, uh, his name was Gus Dolan online. His real name was Bill Doyle. And uh, his wife has, you know, given me permission to use his real name. Uh, in my riding since then. And his name's Bill Doyle, but he went by Gus Dolan. And uh, I, he was friends of mine before I even moved here. I was good friends with his wife. And when I first moved here and I told him what I was going to do with the lifting, he just groaned. He was like, you can't do this. <laughs> he was staunchly anti-Airbnb, just staunchly anti-Uber and, and then what just year was this... this? I beg your pardon?
0: time frame for this?
1: Would have been, so we had been. My wife and I had been trying to get to San Francisco for several years, but um, she just kept getting promoted at her job in LA. And uh, so, you know, we didn't want to, it was hard to turn away money at that time because it was so hard to acquire it after 2009 and the uh, recession. But she had a good job. And they kept giving her promotions to paying her more money. So, it was, you know, we wanted to leave LA and come up here, and then finally she got laid off at the end of 2013, and uh, so in uh, January of 2014, we moved to Oakland, we moved to the Bay Area. So I was going to do the lifting because I discovered it in the process of coming up here and visiting friends. Uh, mid to late 2013, and it was sort of an interesting idea. I knew fundamentally that it was wrong because it was, you know, busting. But you're also a writer. <laughs> I beg your pardon? You're also a writer. But I wanted to document it, you know, because when I was uh, – we were visiting a friend here, and she's involved in tech, and uh, she's a burner. She goes to Burning Man every year, and so we we'd actually c- would come up and watch her house every year during Burning Man and hang out in San Francisco. And it was always great because all the dipshits and burners were gone. And we would think as we walked around San Francisco during this week, how amazing the city was because it was just like that's we remembered it. It's so funny. It.
0: I've heard so I've heard that so much from people that live there. They're like, we love Burning Man because that's when the city is like it used to be. And then you're saying that you got there. That's when you visited.
1: Yeah. So we didn't know what the city was actually like anymore because we didn't, we just went through Burning Man and uh, you know a day here, a couple of days here, but for ten solid days we would be in San Francisco doing Burning Man and just think nothing's ever changed, just like it was in the you know '90s after the dot com crash. Everything's cool. What a great city. We want to be here. And uh, so that was uh, that was our our view of the city at, at that point. So it's sort of funny that, uh, you know, the discovery that I made once we moved here and, uh, and the first of January, I, we actually drove from LA with our shit on December 31st and, uh, got here, you know, after midnight. So we started January 1st is when we started living here. So when I was talking to, to Gus, I'll just call him Gus for, for the sake of, uh, you know, his, uh, respect to his you know uh name that he used but uh when I was talking to Gus about what I wanted to do he, he groaned. he was suspicious he was you know not not really sure if I knew what I was getting myself into he knew I wrote about work i had been doing these for years of course i had been publishing for a long time and I'd started um doing zines in the late 90s and ended up with a publishing company that ultimately drove me insane and um you know, I was doing big books and paperbacks and distribution and all this shit, and uh, so I kind of had a background in all this. And, Which is uh, documented. I in, to, what's it
0: called, Pamphleteria?
1: Yeah, I, I documented part of it in Pamphleteria, and uh, just a
0: plug for you. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. So I've done zines about. Well, I've done zines about every different, all these different points in my life, especially work. I've always liked documenting work because jobs have the potential to, you know, experience and expose aspects that most people don't normally know, you know, like what it's like to work at McDonald's or what it's like to be a door to door candy salesman when you're 12 or, you know, you know, different things. So I thought, well, it'd be interesting to document what it's like to drive a lift car in San Francisco. Cause once we got here and I realized what was going on and we were in the middle of class warfare In January of 2014, San Francisco was at that point where it was a class war, full-blown. Since then, there's been a lot of changes, and obviously the the upper-class white tech workers have won. But at that point, it was still uncertain who the victor was going to be. So as we stumbled into this, it was like, wow, this is— This is fascinating. So I thought I'm going to use our car and uh, go out there and and drive for Lyft and see what I experience and see what I, you know, and see. Love the city and of the people and and what happens. So that's what I did. And at first, Gus was, was very suspicious of the whole thing. He was not sure that I could, you know, do this and, and, and and it's like it was like making a deal with the devil in his eyes, you know? It's like, even though he knew I wanted to examine it critically and that I wasn't necessarily going at it in a sort of positive light, it was still, I was sleeping with the devil. And so he was, you know, unsure about it. But after I did the first deed, you know, he changed his tune. He realized what I was doing, that I was basically going to take a camera and in, in terms of... My, my, z and writing about what I saw and experienced, and just take this camera and and point it at the city and the people that got into my car, and uh, I I limited within the z's I've always limited, you know, criticism and analysis. I just let the people talk, and that's what I did. And I came out with the first lip scene, and. It was, you know, I felt like it was really balanced. I I represented the positive aspects as well as a lot of the negative aspects. And at that time, one of the major themes was gentrification and the transformation of the city because it was happening at such a, a quick, you know, a rapid pace that you could literally see it happen and everybody was talking about it. Now, you know, four years later, Nobody really talks about it. They talk about displacement. They talk about what happened. They talk about how it is the case. But back then, it was in the process of happening, and there were people who were trying to fight it. And, you know, ultimately, they lost, and the city is, you know, and. turned into this sort of playground for the for rich white people and the income disparity is so vast it's just it's obvious it's just so apparent to see people living in tents and having suffering mental illness on the streets and then you have these massive high rises going up into the sky with you know golden handle handles on the front doors and the the, the condos that go up so now it's it's all very apparent but back then it was less so so that's what I wanted to do was document that, and uh over a period so of four
0: years, I guess I have work. yeah
1: over a period of four years yeah, it's not very long yeah after I put you know. after I put the first zine out, it had been six months so the first scene was essentially six months of of observation and and when I gave it to Gus, he read it, and uh I still have a picture on my blog of him holding it up with this uh funny uh leopard skin uh box hat that he's wearing on his head and a and a photoshopped red eye sticking over the top of the zine and that to me was a was a was a major um a point of validation for me because gus liked what i did he said you did good kid you did good and so that was important to me and uh, when i did the second zine he was even more supportive and and you know believed in what I was doing and felt that I was doing something good because I'd gone into the inside of this world and I was reporting about it and I was showing what was really ultimately bad about it. The things that were good about it, about dealing with people driving the city, experiencing the city in this really unique, cool way, I eventually took the taxi because that was the same as in a taxi cab. In a taxi cab, I experienced the city actually in a more, of a way because I have more freedom in a taxi than I do in a personal car as far as driving where I can wanna drive, I can go straight down Market Street. Personal cars cannot. And I have a lot more freedom in a taxi cab. As we often joke, it's like you're you can you could be in your cab and it can be burning and somebody can be stabbing you in the eye with a neck and a cop will drive by and just like shrug and keep going. Cabs are invisible in this town and that is a massive amount of freedom. Because Nobody looks at you. Nobody looks at you twice, and that really gives you a lot of freedom and to experience things and do what you want. Plus, you deal with the the, the top people. You go to the opera and you drive people home in frocks and tuxes, and then you deal with people who are, you know, street people and homeless people who get in your cab and say, "I have five dollars. Can you take me where I need to go?" And it's like, "Yeah, I will," you know. So you, you deal with the, the, the high and the low. So it was a real all encompassing experience of the city. So in a taxi, I was finally experiencing the city in all its spectrums and its all many horrors and glory. So
2: But man. where is like where is like in a Uber and Lyft appeal to a more um like a more specific crowd, right? Like they're going to be younger. the demographics
1: are the demographics definitely changed. Yeah. Um, when I first started driving a taxi in, there, in February 2015, there was a little bit of crossover, but now there's none. There's two types of people, and, and as taxi drivers here in San Francisco, we, we, we have you know names for them in ways that we refer to them. And uh, you know, there are taxi people, there are people who take taxis, there are people who take both. There are people who don't want to sit stand around and wait. If a taxi's going by, they get in a the taxi. These are people where the, the financial aspect of it is is not important. They just need a ride home and they'll take whatever they can get. And there are those people. And then there are people who only take taxis, you know, and then there are what we call the phonies. And they're the ones who only <laughs> use their phones. And they only take the shits. And the shits are what we call the Uber and Lyft drivers, because they are S, uh, whether it shits, they're s- smartphone-hailed internet transportation provi- uh, services. Smartphone-hailed internet transportation services, the shits. Okay. And yeah. uh, so we call them either phonies that we call them shit-eaters. And So those are the people that only take Uber and Lyft. And, <laughs> as far as most of us are concerned. Nice. Fuck them We they're they're better off in their Ubers. We don't want to deal with them. They tend to be demanding. They get in your car, they ask for a phone charger, they ask for water, they they just expect all this shit. Generally millennials. Um m- exclusively millennial. Well, yeah, well, Every once in a while you get
0: it's a millennial thing. Like like a mild supervisor um at the cab company I drove in. Was you know I've driven one for like fifteen years and like you know he was saying that there's a generation who has no idea what a cab
1: is. Exactly, and I I say that all the time.
0: So my company that I'd worked for for so long in Louisville, Kentucky, and I go back there. I'm a seasonal worker. That's how I make my money. And then I come back and write and stuff. But what's interesting is this company like lost all its business basically it'd been around it's the oldest cab company but it it so basically all it was doing was um just uh accounts with medical companies you know and and the you know the um the cab the cabs were all full of bed bugs because they picked up so many people that lived in public housing or whatever or like I don't know. Is it public housing? I don't, never mind. I don't know what the word I'm trying to find is. But anyway, like, (laughs) so anyway, I went to a different company and it was started making a lot of money because it, it, it basically started using the technology of Uber, but, but they took cash. So the whole demographic changed. All of a sudden, like, I was on the Saturday night, I wasn't picking up, um, a bunch of bros on the club strip i was you know working in the poorer areas and i was you know picking up like but i had business again because they had cat like we could take cash so you know it's just interesting because yeah that that is a definite clientele that take uber and they're totally entitled and but go ahead
1: boy yeah, it's a, um, you know, it's definitely, it's when people ask me, you know, it's still funny because they'll, to this day they'll even ask. It's like a, a lot of cab drivers will talk about this question that we get asked all the time. And we feel it's somewhat sadistic that people ask it. They, it's like they like the idea of hearing people suffer or whatever, you know, and they'll get in the cab and say, so how is this Uber thing treating you? I'm really good at deflecting that, and I I often point out that it's a demographic thing. You know, the demographics in San Francisco have changed, and their expectations have changed. They do everything through the phone. They, uh, you know, they date through the phone. They socialize through the phone. They share, you know images on the phone, they, you know, they communicate through the phone with texting and, you know, Snapchat and Instagram, and they, uh, they order their food through the phone. They do everything to the phone, so why would they not also acquire transportation to the phone? Ultimately, the, the Uber, Lyft versus taxi question is about demographics and how the demographics in the urban settings have changed and how these suburban kids have left suburbia where their parents took them and uh, have come into the cities and whitewashed it. I don't know about Seattle but in San Francisco it's like it's like a university town. It's like a, it's all collegiate. Everybody is super scrubbed white and clean clothes and they're preppy. Everybody has short hair, um, you know, to walk around with long hair and, and tattoos and, you know, unkempt appearance is is actually unusual here now. Oakland it's not so much but San Francisco it is San Francisco a very clean whitewashed collegiate looking place now
0: right so how did it feel I have to ask like you know working for Uber and like just getting pushed around because of the the star rating how did it feel to like all of a sudden drive a cab and then be able to tell people to fuck off
1: well, in the the zine that I sent you, the third behind the wheel zine, the first one, of course, is the Lyft zine, and the second one is the Uber zine, Uber slash Lyft, because I was still doing Lyft, but it's mostly about Uber. And then the third zine, the third behind the wheel zine, is about the taxi, and in there, there's the, the story, the danger dog incident. And uh, and that was the first time I got to throw somebody out of my cab, and it felt good. It felt great. It was It was... <laughs> the most life-affirming, invigorating experience I'd had in a long time. And, uh, you know, it, it was, to throw a water bottle at him, I don't know if I put that in there. I had to really kind of limit a lot of the things. But when I first started writing the column and I first started publicly being uh, publicly being read and being read by the, the San Francisco Municipal Transit Authority, um, at first I was sort of like this golden boy. Everybody was like, oh, he's, he's going to like be a champion of the taxi industry. Now everybody fucking hates me, you know, the cab drivers, the MTA, everybody. They used to put my column and pin it up every week at the MTA. And they haven't done that in a long time, especially with, with uh, headlines like the SFMTA makes me want to smoke crack. So, you know, they, uh, you know, they've, they've since <laughs> realized that I'm not a the golden boy and I'm not a good game player, but, um, it was a, it was a really good feeling to to finally be in control. So you know, getting back to this this forum that I ended up going to, you know, at, at which point when this happened, I was already doing the column for the Examiner, and uh, this was ultimately this was essentially a, a column that I wrote for the Examiner that I then expanded for the Zine to put in the parts where at the time I didn't want to reveal. Uh, my involvement with the competition with uh, David Pluth because I felt that it, the attention needed to be on Eric, the Uber driver, because he was this family guy. He was this, this married guy from, uh, somewhere in the East Bay, you know, it's like out in the suburbs there. And, uh, and he had a wife. He had like three kids, like a new baby. His wife was doing Uber as well, so she would like be doing Uber at night while he did it to the day, and they would be switching off with the daycare, with taking care of the kids, you know. So it's kind of like they were trying to use Uber to survive and succeed and raise their family, but they weren't able to because of all the price cuts that kept going over and over again as, as Uber and Lyft fought for dominance, uh, which I you know documented. You know, all through 2014, as the prices began to plummet. When I first started driving, it was me. In comparison, I looked. I've looked at the rates to things. So, a, a ride from the Lower Hay to SFO in a taxi is about thirty-five dollars minus tip. You know, and at that point, when I first started driving Lyft, a, a ride from SFO to the Lower Hay was thirty dollars. So the prices weren't that drastically different. And so you were able to make money. Now, a ride from Lower Haight to SFO, I think, is about $15. And uh, if you do Uber Pool or Lift Line, it's 10 or something. So they well, really. Didn't they come- say?
0: I think 4 13 an hour is the average uh, Uber Lift maker makes.
1: Yeah, they they come. It switches around sometimes. I've seen up to three dollars, down to three dollars, up to eight dollars, up to eighteen dollars. I mean, really, it's a hustle. in no matter how, so is taxi driving. And your your hourly wage, like, I, I've had all these reporters from the New York Times to the Times and the Chronicle and all these places calling you. They wanted all these facts and figures and hours. It's like you can't determine this. You know, it's like especially on a service you know job because as i pointed out you know charm pays in a taxi it doesn't in an uber lift because in a taxi i get tipped so if i'm you know helpful to my passengers if i'm you know knowledgeable to my passengers if i get them where they're going but well, this lady uh you know got to make half this day and and, and she had two minutes to get to her their hotel from the so the office building I picked her up at, and it was, and she's like, I'm late, and I'm like, in a hurry, you need to do what you can do. And I said, well, yeah, I can do what I can do, and uh, you know, she was, you know, really well dressed, you know, I could tell she was a, you know, wealthy woman, so I, you know, committed a couple, you know, traffic, you know, fractions, and, you know, went a wrong way on a couple wrong roads and things like that. And I got her there in five minutes, you know, and she, you know, it was like six dollars on the meter because I'd gone so fast and, and broke so many laws. You know, I got there really quickly, and she just, you know, has me 20 and says, keep it, walk out. So, you know, the way the way you earn money in a taxi isn't based on this algorithm of an app, you know. And, yeah, they say that you could tip through Uber now, back then you couldn't, and they, you could tip back then through Lyft, and hardly anybody did. And uh <laughs> can never forget the racial components of cab driving versus Uber driving. How many times, you know, especially in tourist season, people would be like, wow, you're white. I haven't had a white cab driver in, you know, years or whatever. And then, of course, they go, well, why don't you do Uber and Lyft? Because I'm a white guy, you know, so why would I be doing a taxi thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But, and then they say, oh, you have, you know, this potential, and it's like, then you start talking to them, and it's like, well, how much did you pay for your last Uber? You know, you paid three fucking dollars to get somewhere, you know, you did Uber pool, and you paid nothing. How am I supposed to make money on that? When Uber and Lyft first went to war with the price wars and started cutting things, slashing things, I had these Two fucking tech douchebags in the back of my cab, and they were talking about it. That was one thing you would always have happen in Uber and Lyft, where they would talk about what was going on with Uber and Lyft and talk about drivers and not include you in the conversation. And you would just sit there, and they would sit there and talk about what you're doing and if they knew more about it than you did. And I mean, again, again, millennials. And, uh, you know, and when you're in San Francisco, I don't know how it is everywhere else. When you're in San Francisco and you just see these dumb, shitty kids everywhere acting like fucking idiots. And you deal with bartenders and you deal with drug dealers and you deal with all these people. And they're like, they're morons. Who, who calls a drug dealer? And when the drug dealer says, I will come and deliver your drugs to you. And when you show up with the drug, when the drug dealer shows up at your house to deliver drugs to you, you do not then say, oh, I need to go to an ATM. Who the fuck does that? A millennial. But you know <laughs> so I I was never a generational antagonist until the taxi and the Uber and Listen, it's really turned me into one. And you know, I just embrace it now at this point. But you know, it's like they'll they'll talk about these two guys in the back of my Uber were talking about how they paid less and everything, and at one point they go, <clears throat> excuse me, driver. I'm like, Yeah, and they go, so like with these prices being lowered, that doesn't affect what you earn, right? And I remember turning around to them and be like, do you just not know how math works? It's like, if you were paying $15 last week and now you're paying 10 do you think I'm like still making the same amount then that I am now? It's like, I'm making less now. You're paying less for this ride, which means I make less. They have no conception of what the ramifications are financially to these things. They don't because they're oblivious to it. They have. They're bringing their world, their suburban world of soccer moms driving them to after school programs and uh, whatnot. That's what they're bringing with Uber and Lyft. They ride in the back of the car, just like I'm sure they rode in the back of their mom's car. And you know, they're having their food delivered to them through all these delivery services. They're having, you know, they're transforming the cities into a suburban sort of collegiate kind of environment, which matches the world that they come from. So they're remodeling the cities to fit their needs, and, though, and if it's their needs, it disenfranchises and marginalizes the people who are living in the cities to begin with—the poor people, the the artists, and the uh, you know the different types of people who were there because they were you know they had nowhere else to go.
0: You know, it's hard for me to like put my head into like a world that is all on my phone because I came up on something entirely
1: different you know like well i mean there was a certain amount of diversity in how you experience things you know it's like um where everything is self-contained you know it's like i i drove my wife's uh nephew up to la from la up to the bay area he goes to uc davis and i drove him up from la and uh and as we were talking you know of course the idea of millennials came up because he was what 22 or 23 or something and You know, of course, he's like, oh, I'm not a millennial here. You know, he thinks that's a a derogatory term, you know, especially the way it's used. most of the time it is considered to be derogatory. And uh, but then he starts saying these things that are so, you know, aligned with that stereotypical millennial. And at one point he says, I can't live without music. There's no way. Music is my life. It's everything to me. You know, it's like I can't imagine life without music. But I will only I will only pay four dollars and ninety five cents a month for Spotify and not a penny more. <laughs> and I think that basically typifies the that mentality, you know. It's like if music, you know, to me was was my life and that's why I'd probably spend I mean, I'm forty six, I've been buying music since I was eleven. I mean, I don't know. How will well, well, that tens of thousands? Like-
0: you know, like, the the whole app sort of, uh, like, you know, now... Before, like, if somebody could build a career like, you know, walking dogs and now all of a sudden that market is flooded through an app by people who want extra cash and then there's... <clears throat>
2: I think there's more money in dog walking today than there ever was. I'm not sure what you're talking about.
0: Well, it, well, okay. The dog sitting, you know, apps are like you know all of a sudden just flooded by people that are that are that are you know wanting some extra cash, just like Uber. <clears throat> and now it's really hard to make like people that have like it's the same sort of thing with like cab driving, to where like you know like people that have done it for years are like losing their jobs and. Or aren't getting the the work because they're being undercut, and it's like a lot of these apps are like really undercutting, right? It's the service
2: economy. I gotta interject in here a little bit though, because there is like the, like you're saying like the that you didn't used to play like this class and or this like generational antagonist, but now you do. Like it seems that the, to me there's a bit of a resignation to. Um, the same, like, repeated trope of generational antagonism that that uh, it's almost kind of like a, it's easy, you know, it's like it's too easy or something. Um, like the technological changes that 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 accompany a generational gap, um, that sort of allow for this sort of attitude of like like this being a generational thing or something. Cause it doesn't really matter. Like ultimately I mean economically is really what we're talking about. Like the neg the negative impact of all these decisions is really is really uh expresses itself in the economic. Like like uh using an app to order a cab is not necessarily a bad thing but it's the way that it negatively impacts the worker right like i'm trying to i'm tr- i'm just trying to interject in a little bit like what we're really talking about is a labor issue and not a generation generational issue you guys have been kind of focused on the generational one for the last 20 minutes or something so i'm, I'm as a as a millennial as a person who's a little bit younger it's a little uh, i'm i'm getting a little like bored with the generational thing you know? yeah and it's and- not because i'm a millennial it's cuz uh it really has almost literally nothing to do with what we were talking
1: about. Well, actually, I I, I disagree. I think it has well, uh, here, hear a me great out, deal. Though.
2: Hear me out, though. Hold on. No,
1: I, I, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Go because
2: ahead. what we're talking about is a labor issue. We're talking about industries being wiped out by technological change, right? And um, although it's expressing itself as a generational gap in, in the demo, the, the demographics of adoption and stuff, uh, it's not, it, I mean, it's just the same, I mean, it's like, it's always the same thing, you know, like, fucking horse carriage driver, you know, uh, uh, whatever the hell, what's the name of someone who fucking runs a horse carriage, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what, you know, we're pissed off at, a taxi driver. At a taxi driver. That's and now me, you calling. guys are going to fucking sit here and complain about Uber drivers and shit. Or about the platform. But that's, well, okay. not,
1: that's not really the problem. Well, can, I, can I ask you a question, though? Uh, all
2: right. Can I wanted to make one. My final point okay, in, in ahead, this package I
1: Just we, we, let's, let's put a pin in the horse and buggy thing so I can come back to that. Though. So go <laughs> okay. ahead. All right. Uh,
2: the, the, the problem expresses itself through... Uh, the exploitation of the worker, ultimately, that's what we're really trying to talk about here, and and the the displacement of uh, meaningful work and uh, 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 the value of I mean, because ultimately, like, driving a cab fucking sucks. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, like digging a ditch sucks, you know, fucking sweeping a floor sucks. Like doing all the shit jobs that we're gonna get. Like we find value. Have, you, in the, have I, you
1: ever? Have you ever dug a ditch?
2: Are you fucking kidding me?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm asking. It's a
2: legitimate question. Yeah, I'm not dude. trying to. Uh, I've been a fucking laborer my. I've been a laborer my whole life. So I. Uh, so I'm trying to speak. So from, have I? So, so, so have I? I'm so, just
1: asking. We're trying to find uh, some medium ground here. I've. i i done some as I'm not trying well. to. I'm, opposed, just
2: I'm not trying to oppose you as an as an individual. But like, there's there's a problem here that like, that. Uh I think this is a great example of the larger problem because it's really a labor problem it's a it's a it's a like it's not the medallions in New York that are like dropping in value that is the problem it's the fact that as a society we don't take care of one another right ultimately all these problems are expressed economically because we live in the capitalist system um it's it really has nothing to do like there's not actually anything wrong with, like, there's literally no difference between using your phone to order a car and calling a dispatch. Like, there's almost no difference. So I don't know. I just want to. St- I I would like for us to steer the conversation towards like, uh, you know, a larger like the labor to focus on the labor issue rather than the generational. That's all. I'm really
1: yeah,
0: trying. I I mean the, the I I have technology. issues with like not really labeling. I have issues with labeling millennials and I was actually kind of trying to steer it away from that because I know a lot okay, of our so listeners let me, so, a lot of our listeners so, are but let me finish I, I, I do understand that there is what I would why I agree is is though is is that like there is like a totally separate view of viewing the world between millennials or, or people who have only grown up uh, with apps I guess is the thing that's the only way they know how to think and I think that's a valid thing.
1: Okay, so so I, I'm I'm really glad that that, that um that changed the, the direction there because I think it would be ultimately boring if we all were all just sitting and agreed upon the same things. So what is the difference between an Uber or a Lyft and a taxi? Wait, is that a question? I'm
2: asking
1: that question. Rhetorical? I'm asking the question anybody can answer. What's the difference between an Uber
2: and a Lyft and a taxi? Very little except for the the uh, the exploitative, the increasingly exploitative nature of the Uber and Lyft platform, whereas um, a lot of cab companies are, uh, let's say, m- the, the, the wealth generated by a lot of cab companies is more evenly distributed.
1: Uh, That's the big difference. Not really. Okay. I think that the cab companies are the evil. Are pretty evil. Okay. I, I definitely would never uh, champion the um, the cab company over uh, Uber, and Lyft. I think uh, companies in general are capitalistic, and I think they're out to screw the worker any chance they can. I think the government, you know, oversight is is meant to. Uh, to there's some uh, about creating a level playing field and giving people, you know, equal rights and things like that. There is some to that. But when you look at what Uber and Lyft is and what, what taxis are, they're identically the same except for some majorly fundamental differences. Yeah, you can't hail a, an Uber and Lyft on the street. In San Francisco, Uber and Lyft drivers will solicit rides on the street, which there sure should be against the law, but it's not. But the danger difference between an Uber and a Lyft car and a taxi is, one, is regulated to the teeth taxis. And the other is not. So if one has the freedom to operate without any oversight, without anybody saying you can't do this, they are going to be able to accomplish things that the regulated industry is not going to be able to accomplish, but they're providing the identically same service. Yeah. Taking somebody from point A to point B. One uses only an app service. The other one uses app services because taxis have apps. And uh, actually without Flywheel, the taxi app, there would be no Uber because Uber is based on Flywheel. So they use apps, they use cash, they use credit cards, they use everything. Just, you know, Uber uses the app and they, they process it. But through Uber's system of how they operate, they Exploit workers to such a degree that they will charge passengers 40 bucks for a ride and give the driver 10. They are totally victimizing these drivers that exploited them to no end. What is the difference? The difference between a taxi and an Uber and Lyft? One is regulated, the other is not. The other can do whatever the fuck they want to do. Okay? That is capitalism run amok. That is Donald Trump. That is Republican. That is all that shit that they want, the Koch brothers, that is everything they want. Yeah, libertarianism that represents their is, world.
0: It's yeah, it's just a big example of like libertarianism. So really. The point
1: I'm making the point I'm making is that now you see you see, like the people with these kids in, in Parkland and they're going and they're protesting. You see these assholes that are like, why are they marching to give away their rights when they're not? They're just trying to basically limit the amount of weapons that are available, you know. And But there are people who are actually working against themselves. And people who support Uber and Lyft and use Uber and Lyft are – Working against themselves, supporting things like automated technology, they're working against themselves. They're making themselves obsolete. They're making their jobs obsolete. Talk about labor, the future of labor. That's what this whole conference was about: was the future of labor, and the future of labor is AI, right. it's automated technology.
2: But so, like, so you the, want... I, the, the, I mean, like. Uh, in a way, yeah, like, what, I mean, what is a cabbie? Like, what is a taxi driver? Like, maybe cabbies should be, like, coal miners. And, I mean, you know, I mean, what, what the fuck kind of a job how, is How, how
1: are they, how are they anywhere close to being a coal miner?
2: No, you know what I mean? How no, is if there it's, any comparisons? What I'm saying is, if the job is going to be rendered obsolete, then why hold on to it? How?
1: How is it going to be rendered obsolete? Because
2: if, because if cars are going to be automated, then you're not going to be driving, you're not going to have a job anymore, you know? That's just the reality. You really you know
1: believe think? that? You really believe that there will be driverless cars in the future?
2: Uh, at some point, yeah. It might not be two years from now, like fucking, you know, surgery or I whatever things.
1: I don't think so. I yeah, don't think it that might, that might not happen. be in two
2: years, but it's certainly going to happen in the next fifty years.
1: I I disagree.
2: Well, unless there's a uh, like a massive technological I disagree collapse, and
1: the the editor of Japonic, uh, which is the car blogging thing they disagree because every of, major person who deals with transportation agrees there's not this is they're reinventing the wheel that's not true. what no. are they creating what is the driver of this car It's that's a fucking true, dude. street car are you talking about it's a train what it, what is an, what, an automated car okay it's not going to just go wherever the fuck you want it to go it's gonna go on established patterns, established routes. That's a bus. That's a streetcar. That's a train. That's a subway. They're not creating anything new. What are you what? I'm saying that what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm, what is a driverless car? It's like it's it's not what they say it is. It's not gonna happen. You're not going to be able to have your driverless car go out into the back seat and say, "Car, take me to fuck like, I don't know where." Just start driving. Let's smoke a joint and just start drive. You know, and you go through the country and you're cruising around. Your driverless cars are going to do that. Your driver's car is going to like I go from point A to point B. That's it. Uh huh. Okay. So if you want, man, it's different to, than a train because a train needs what? tracks. Well, I mean, it's like a bus route. I mean, there's going to be – the way the driverless cars will work within inner cities where they'll be on established routes. Uber and Lyft are already doing this. They're, they're already starting them. this. Yeah, yeah. What, what – Okay, uh, they're, they're already starting this. They've already started doing this. It's, it's like they, they have all these different services that Uber and Lyft provide where everything from the UberX and the UberPool and Lyft line, and now they have this one service where it only goes on established routes. So the car drives like a bus route, right? And you get into the car and it pick up somebody else and you drop off there and it's like that. It's like a bus route. So you could do an automated vehicle that could do that because it's just going from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E, right? Right. That's how you can control automation, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't then get into a car that's automated and say, go, I don't know where because that's how you drive a car you get into a car you turn it on and you're like okay where am i going and you Mm -hmm. just fucking drive right and you change your route as you go along right
2: and people will still be able to do that if they but you don't do that in a cab that's not what we're talking about
1: I do that in a cab. That's how I look for fares. No, but you I drive that in cab a cab all the time. But as a consumer I have, you I don't, can tell you I do that in a cab all the right, fucking right, time. Right. I get people drive, in my get right. in my cab and say, "Can I smoke a cigarette?" I say, <laughs> "Sure." They go, "Can you just like drive around for a while so I can, you know, relax?" Sure. And I just cruise.
2: And then they pay you to just drive around in circles? Of course they do. And just cruise around. That's the job, yeah. man. Yeah. That's why it's
0: that's why it's one of the best hustles there is, is that it's, it's always interesting. That's what? That's why it's one of the that's best what? hustles that there is. You know?
1: Which is what? Being, being it, smart and clever and funny and, and charming yeah, and being able to talk to people and interact the, with people and make friends with people? Uh, that's <laughs>
0: one of, It's one of the best, why it's really fun to drive a cab. If you have to work, it's one of the best things that I've found to do.
1: Right. I wouldn't say that driving a cab sucks at all. I would say that driving a cab around, you know, Uber and Lyft cars sucks because they don't know how to drive and they get in my way and they do stupid shit. Yeah, it's fucking I'd right say now. dealing with the, uh, you know, the phonies and all that and everything is no fun because they, uh, you know, they don't know how to act. Just like you know, they don't know how to order drinks, they don't know how to buy drugs, they don't know how to be in a cab. Okay. But you know, when you get when you get people and you're just interacting with them and you're in a car and you're just driving around. I call it, it's no skin off the meter, you know? It's like where you want to go. You want to see something on the way? No skin off the meter. I turn the meter off all the time. I'll get somewhere just turn off. You're like, yeah, give me five bucks. Yeah, give me ten bucks. You know, it's, that's cab driving to me.
0: Yeah, and that's what is really great about... Um, uh, about Freedom? what you're writing. <laughs> uh, Your writing is, it, it, it really expresses this um, sort of like what it I, feels I, other like. Other people
1: do that, and I would do that even if I wasn't writing about it. Yeah. I, that's that's just part of an experience of, of interacting with people. It's like, you know, listening to 45s, you know? You throw a seven-inch on a turntable, you listen to it. What do you want to do? Yeah, well, I don't know. Flip to the records, put another one on. Right, but 45
2: you know, is a relic of the past, just like so many other jobs. Yes, it is. I mean, yeah. I
1: don't know. Do I don't know what punk rock record stores you go to, but when I go to punk rock record stores, they got a fucking wall. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs>
2: and it's, it's coming back because people are whatever. But it is like a thousand years from now. Are we really going to be like, talking about... Driving around in an internal combustion engine ourselves just because it makes us feel free, I think is that really?
1: Yeah, I think we yeah. will. Okay, I can we we,
2: <laughs> can we regroup
0: though? We we keep getting away from the, the 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 convention that you did. I keep asking like questions and telling stories and kind of getting it away from that.
1: Well, that's I think we haven't got away from it at all. I don't think sure, Cause I think that yeah, that's what the whole convention is it, about, that, right? Yeah. Sure, but but the we but you haven't told us what the- happened
0: at the convention. <laughs> that's what's that's what's really a, a really exciting story, and I was hoping well,
1: like I, I you know like I said I entered into this situation you know sort of a gonzo way I was you know gash on my forehead. You can see in the video I got this, you know, gash on my forehead. I don't know what the fuck I was doing there. Right. And nobody had told me what it was about. If they did, I didn't pay attention. So this is the story. This is the story that I entered into this situation. And I, before I talked to the moderator and I told her these things I'm telling you that I'm I'm I am i do not you know I'm I don't believe that, that the world is going in this one particular way and and that it will continue going in that way. That ultimately there's going to be uh you know it's going to change and people are gonna realize just how stupid this is, this stupid idea, you know, that that driving in the back of unmarked vehicles is is it's idiotic. That people are gonna to come to their senses eventually and it's gonna stop. I don't believe this is the future at all. I so I so. told her that. And she was and she was like, okay, you this is you sound like, you know, I, let's throw you up there. Let's put a microphone on you and throw you in front of, you know, You know, hundred people, like five hundred people, or something like that. You know, and it was gonna There was all these CEOs of Kickstarter and General Electric and Lyft, and then there was David Plouffe, Uber's, you know, chief advisor, and you know, Obama, you know, the guy who got Obama elected. You know, I mean, this guy's in the history books. You know, David Plouffe. You know, he got Obama elected, the first African American president. You know, and big fucking deal. So, you know, I was always sort of like. Weirded out by the fact that he was involved with Uber, you know. But you know, I guess everybody has their price, you know. Clinton did a lot of, you know, questionable shit as well. But uh, you know, and, and I was like, I was saying, I got unbarred, and I found out when I was like there looking at my phone that you know my friend Gus had, had passed away, and you know that he had been a big influence on me, and uh, you know he was sort of like a a mentor, you know, a, a, an intellectual guide to what I was doing that I. Wanted to impress him by making sure that I didn't that I covered my bases when I went through this and documented what I was doing it and I documented it, you know, honestly, you know, for myself to not try to just rip on the system, but to actually, you know, document it honestly. And uh, you know, I wrote about conversations that would people would ask, "What is gentrification?" You know. What's gentrification? I mean, if you grew up in a, you know, white suburb in the middle of, you know, Wisconsin, what the fuck do you know about gentrification? You know, you don't know that you're participating in it. These are the things that I, you know, was trying to document. And, uh, you know, so there I am going to this convention. And uh, so it was there They put us in this green room and uh, that's where I met Eric, the Uber driver, and uh he uh he had organized the protest earlier that the year before in october that uh that just sort of didn't make much of a way, but while talking to him, I I didn't know, you know, what he was going to be like, but after like a minute of talking to the guy, it was obvious that he was disgruntled and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, this guy's, you know, obviously not mentally ill, because if you drive for Uber and Lyft and you're not disgruntled, you're most likely mentally ill because it is the type of job that will make you disgruntled. So, you know so as we were heading up onto the stage you know it was like okay i i kind of was feeling a little more com- comfortable with what we were doing that i wasn't going to be just the, the 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 relic of the past you know like I everybody mean, be like oh he's the cab guy so he's going to be like you know and, and we're all going to praise this new technology and uber and all this stuff like that you know but i was starting to realize that that wasn't going to be the case so i was like okay maybe this is going to be cool and ironically enough, it was the fucking cab driver that had gone to lift that was sort of the the how do you say it, the polemic you know voice in this thing because he was so angry at the cab industry he was so angry at what you know, what had happened to him in the cab industry, how he went to Lyft because he'd been ripped off by passengers and mistreated by cab companies, et cetera, et cetera. So he was sort of like that, the voice that was pro, uh, you know, Uber Lyft. So it was sort of, you know, so that's the scenario that I, you know, realized that they throw us out onto the stage and there's lights flashing at us and I'm like, holy shit. So, you know, we start, uh, start the Q and A and, uh, you know, they, start asking us questions and I, um, you know, I just keep ragging on the gig economy and, you know, people are laughing and Eric and I are trying Uber and, uh, you know, the audience is eating it up, you know, and I get into the sort of heated argument with John Kessler, the taxi driver turned loose driver. And, uh, you know, people were, eating it up, and, uh, so after that was over with, you know, we went out and got thrust into this crowd of people because they broke for a break. They, they stopped for a break, and all these people were drinking, you know, water, champagne and flutes and cano herbs were being passed around. It's not exactly the scene, uh, type of scene I'm used to, but, you know, doing my best to talk to us, right? But this is how they want to talk to us. They want to give us a car. They want to do stuff with us. They want, they want to somehow harness our enthusiasm or, or use how we're behaving to benefit them. Like that's how, that's how it felt. Like, how can I, what can I get off of you? you know, how can I use you to my benefit? Here's my card. Call me so I can find out. It was like, yeah, okay, a trash can, right? After talking to several of, of dozen attendees who'd paid uh, $3,500 to be there. I realized the conference wasn't just a celebration of the on-demand economy. It was more of an examination of how these advances in technology will impact labor and shape the future of work.
0: See, that's what's interesting. And that's how, that's like, I'm sorry, that's a really interesting part of the writing is how like, you kind of find this out later. But yeah, there's. It seemed like there was very few actual workers there.
1: But yeah, I mean, we were we were the only workers there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there are all these people that that are looking to sort of exploit the workers, and they're trying to figure out how to do that and maybe not be total dicks about it. You know, because the you know, it was like the Google guy was there. There was some big. I was surprised at how many big names were there. So it was like they all had sort of an interest in in the future of labor and how, you know, because, I mean, right? If, If the future of work and labor becomes automated, you're going to have all these people who would normally be doing jobs not having any jobs because there's not going to be anything for them to do. That unskilled labor is gonna become obsolete. So what do you do with these people? I mean yeah. this is a serious thing happening. to consider. Yeah. And I'm sure that, that these people who uh who are running Google and Apple and G E and you know all this, they this is something they have to consider because I mean if you wanna like kind of get into some sort of dystopian, you know, potential reality I mean, if you are are made the employment of millions of people obsolete, you're going to get pretty pissed off, and you don't want millions of pissed off people sort of banding together and you know, forming you know, roving bands of you know you know Modern anti technology <laughs> people.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's you know. So that's how I kind of like was sort of what was going through my mind, you know, was they were sort of celebrating us as like little monkeys with red hats on going, oh, you know, look at the workers, aren't they so cute? You know, and, uh, but, you know, most of what they said was obvious doublespeak. Like I said, it was sort of had this Orwellian, you know, undertones to the whole thing It was very, very weird. You know, it made me also think of Marshall McLuhan, uh, you know, when he wrote about how, you know, we're driving into the future using the rearview mirror as our, our our direction. You know, it's sort of like marching into the future by going backwards. You know, and that's in a, the medium is the the massage. It's it's always been an idea that that uh, you know i was fascinated with by sort of seeing it here in play. You know, because again, a lot of what they're talking about with the future of labor are things that have already been dealt with. You know, it's just this is it's like a the same. Story, but with different characters. And the characters this time are, is more automation. It's AI, you know, it's artificial intelligence. While before it was like we talk about the horse and buggy and then the, the, the steam-powered engine and the gas-powered engine all these different things, you know. But now we're talking about, you know, artificial intelligence doing the work and doing the work better. They were showing videos of where they would have these helmets or, or like a, it's like a, a virtual reality thing where you put a helmet. And it would have like a window on it. You know what I'm talking about? And it would show like they would use it for surgeries, and they would use it for like repair workers would go into these situations, and on that screen it would tell them like exactly what to do. So whether they knew how to do it or not on that screen in front of their face, it would give them exactly the the what they were supposed to do. So whether they, you know, all they have to do was put in a the chip or put in the, the program, and boom, they can perform brain surgery, you know? Yeah. And Uber, like that's Uber for brain surgery, right? You know, it's like where Uber tells, you know, you put the app and it has a GPS and it tells you where to go without having to know where to go. You can just put this helmet on and it tells you what to do to perform surgery and repairs, right? it was actually really super fascinating all that stuff it's really fascinating but also terrifying you know and uh,
2: what's terrifying like
1: I said huh
2: why is it terrifying
1: well I mean you know like I said I'm 46 I you know I kind of come from the mindset of having read lots of science fiction and a young person where technology and robots especially were you know bad i mean terminator it's like the robots they're gonna win you know they yeah. have to figure out how to stop the robots you know i, I robot alec I, isaac asimov and the the fundamentals of robotics you know it's like you have to protect yourself from technology because if you advance technology too much to where it takes over you know your lives your you know, humanity becomes at risk and, and I, you know, I mean, we want to get off that topic, but that's what I was talking about with this current generation it's embracing that technology without realizing necessarily the consequences of it. So, they the all I actually fundamentally believe in the big picture is options. Everybody should be able to live the life the way they want to live, and nobody should have somebody else telling them how to live it. But anyway,
2: right. Well, like so I said, in order, also... in order to accomplish that information is required to, like, you, you can't be an autonomous person in our society, in, in the modern world, without access to information, right?
1: Without access to what information? To
2: information. So, the, like, the democratization of, like, brain surgery, say, and to make it a more mechanical thing that almost anyone could perform, would make it so that people could get brain surgery in poorer communities. <laughs> and, like, that's what a library is, that's, like, democratizing information, Right. That's like the whole argument for a library, is like so instead of like only rich people having access to information, then everyone does. Okay, we're you know, no, That's, I mean, that's a very,
1: do. that's a very valid point. That's a very valid point.
0: About but uh, well, we're never going to finish the convention stuff. <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, I don't know. We <laughs> get back on track. But like, it's
1: all, it's all connected, yeah, dude. It is. I'm telling you, all yeah, this is connected. This yeah, is all. So, we're and now we're through moving through
2: the forward. convention because that's what the
1: whole we, convention was about. But you know? you can edit this out, but just let me tell you, trust me, I am all. I'm, I, when I told you I don't function in a linear way, <laughs> yeah, that does really not agree. mean that I don't know how to get from A to B to yeah. C to D. We are, we are moving. This car is okay, going towards your house, and we will get there. The in reverse. <laughs> okay. I got to get. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I feel like I, I think we are. I'm, I have the, the, the story in front of me and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reading here. You well, know, yeah. I'm watching. Oh, okay, okay well, true. let's get to the juicy part. Yeah. Let's get to the juicy part because the juicy part's next, right? Because the last part of what I was saying was what I was just saying was throughout the afternoon, I took advantage of the open bar, sampled the free food, marveled at the vaulted ceilings and ornate fixtures and chandeliers and the whole combined experience felt Orwellian, and surreal. Now, on to the good part. So after the conventioners had gone to lunch, I wandered down Market Street with Eric, the Uber driver, and Nico, his friend, the filmmaker, to get Chinese food by the pound at Lee's Delhi. Nico is a filmmaker whom I met in an Uber protest the previous year. He was at the convention, as I mentioned earlier, as Eric's special guest. Over at chow mein and fried rice, we talked about feeling out of place at the convention. As much as these people seemed to like us because of our performance, there was something off-putting about their acknowledgement. It was obvious they weren't around real workers much, despite claiming to fight for the rights of workers. Then we discussed David Plouffe's segment the next day and how great it would be to confront him during the Q&A session that would follow on video. Ha, 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 we all laugh, right? That would be fucking awesome. But wait, don't we have badges for the entire convention? Didn't they tell us that we could come back the next day? Like, we had these speaker badges. I mean, they were fucking huge, right? They were, like, pro. Like, I mean, the lanyard and everything. And it had this ribbon at the bottom and this big gold stamp on it. And it's like, we could kind of do whatever we want to do. We could go wherever we want to go. We're, like, got VIP access, right? So, uh... Let's do this, right? So Eric and Nico and I, we went into the the fancy lobby there with the giant ceilings and the fountain in the center of it. And somebody's playing a piano and a harp and all this shit. (laughs) And we sat there and we talked about what we do. And the one thing that Nico and I realized was that Eric was the perfect guy to do this because he represented everything that this on-demand economy that Uber and Lyft and TaskRabbit and Airbnb, this is all they talk about is people like Eric Barajas, you know, lower middle class family man trying to make it in the world, getting a leg up. And you know, this is what they do this for. This is the advantage of these services. It helps people lift them up out of, poverty, just like you said, with that helmet that would be able to provide somebody to become a surgeon, a brain surgeon in poor communities and help them. This is that guy. This is the guy you would be slapping that helmet on because he is the fundamental quintessential worker. You know, no college experience, you know, smart enough guy, but he didn't go to college working class. You know, he was, I generally don't avoid, I generally always avoid mentioning ethnicity, but he was, I never really asked him, but vaguely Latino. So the more we talked about all this stuff, you know, we realized that the opportunity was just too good to pass up. It would just, we would regret it for the rest of our lives if we didn't do this. So we formed this plan and we just do a bunch of ideas, right? You know, Nico was throwing ideas, and I was throwing ideas, and I was texting some people, and I called a couple taxi drivers who were uh, involved in, uh, you know, subversive activities uh, within, you know, the city, and, uh, you know, there there are under what do you call the, uh, you know, what do you call the people who subvert. Uh, I'm just listening to Zan today, that I just forgot the name of it. But you know, people who go into situations and they create problems. So I was calling some people and just sort of throwing ideas around. And what we came up with like agitator, was none of that.
2: Huh?
1: Uh, agitators. Yeah. yeah. He was, I called. I called a couple taxi agitators and asked them to do what they say because they're all like, get you know, tomatoes and eggs and throw shit and <laughs> set the place on fire. And I like, okay, let's dial it back a bit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what we realized is to use Eric's asset. And that is, like I was saying before, the fact that he's a hard-working, middle-class family man trying to make it in the world. Just go with that. Stop complicate things. Let's just do that. And we say, Eric, when it comes time, you're going to be the first one in line. We are going to make sure that you are in front of that microphone before anybody else. Because if he's going to ask any questions, he's going to ask one or two, but you've got to be, there's two microphones that they're going to do the Q and A's you have to be at one of them first. So that was important. And we talked about it. We called each other that night, texted and everything. And then we met in the morning and we went over and our time. And it was basically, we weren't giving him a script. All we were trying to do was get him to be relaxed so that he could talk, uh, you know, comfortably about his own situation without any bullshit, without any, all that. So that's, you know, that's what I felt going into it was what made it sort of pure because we weren't doing something underhanded. We were actually being legitimate. So, you know, police is up there talking and, uh, I'd never, you know, seen police talk. I don't have a TV and I don't watch news and all that shit. So I'd never, you know, all I knew was the name and, and reading it, and, you know, you know, the New Yorker and the New York times or whatever wow. I mean, the guy gets up there and he's talking and uh, he's charming. He's super charming. You can tell he's got that cult of personality. And it makes sense in a way like somebody like that would be able to push Obama or push the idea of Uber because he's just got this power of persuasion. Like you like the guy. I like the guy instantly. Oh, I liked him. You know, he was charming and he seemed relatable but in a sort of uh, admirable way, like if he liked you and talked to you, you'd be like, "Oh wow, he likes me." You know, he, he definitely had a personality that was very interesting. But you know, you know, whatever he was, he was our he was our target. You know, he was our target. So over as he discussed the whole thing with Uber with uh, Tim O'Reilly, the the organizer of this convention, he would say things like. Taxis are just not something we care about. We're not interested in the taxi industry. We're not interested in you know what what all that is. You know we 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 don't even think about that. You know so then Tim O'Reilly brought up the the panel, our panel from the day before, and he said, "Did you see it? What do you think of that?" And uh, police sort of just evaded the question. You know because it was obvious he was there to sell an idea. He was selling the idea of Uber. And anything that contradicted this narrative, which was that Uber helps workers. Uber is there to help middle-class workers get a leg up in the world and, you know, move out of poverty or improve their situation, have more time to spend with their kids, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, right? That was the narrative he was there to sell. And Anything that was going against it, he just brushed it aside in a very sophisticated, obviously talented way. So... It comes time for the Q and A, uh, and sure enough, we made sure Eric was uh, number. Uh, he was at the, the far right microphone. I, I don't I don't think the other person even even asked. I think he was the first person that talked, and uh, so this is what he says: "I just wanted to ask." This is Eric. He goes, "I just wanted to ask how it's possible Uber is helping the economy when I'm working full time." 11 hours a day, six days a week, and I am barely making minimum wage. After all the expenses are factored in, I don't know whether to pay my phone bill or my PG&E bill. Parvo. We finally taken aback, suggested that he get together with Uber and they talk about options, right? But Eric expressed concern that he would be deactivated, you know, taken off the platform and not able to drive for speaking out. But Proof assured him that he wouldn't be deactivated for speaking his mind, pointing out that the rating system was only used to determine driver quality, not for retaliation. And I remember Niko and I looked at each other like, what the fuck does the rating system have to do with this? What is he even talking about? It was just obvious. He was like, eh, you know, like this isn't part of my narrative. So he decides to brush him off, right? And then just leaves the stage. Well, the sort of the reaction to this was not necessarily what we thought it would be because we were kind of hoping to like just throw a you know, you know, throw something at Plut, like, you know, catch him in something. But he just left the stage. Well what happened was every fucking buddy in that auditorium, they wanted a piece of air after that. They just swarmed him. Walmart workers, you know, that that rally against the company and these nonprofits and these like, you know, workers, right. They just were all over him. Just there, you know, he, he didn't even know what to do, you know? And Nico and I were just like, he was like, stay with me, stay with me, but you know, help me. I don't know what these people are talking about. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it was like, almost watching somebody drift off in the sea as Nico and I stood there. And those people just sort of took him away. It reminded me of, of, uh, you know, that, uh, the invisible man in the opening chapter of that where they have him come in and they fight the battle Royal and uh, it's like, all these people are standing around forcing these kids to fight. And, and then the guy, Ralph Ellison, he's the, the winner. And they're all just so proud of him. And, and then as he walks away, he's like, what did I just do? What did I just accomplish? And he realizes he, you know, he didn't accomplish anything. He sort of fucked himself you know, and became invisible, you know, that's how he lost his identity in, this, in, this, in the book. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking, you know? And uh, so, you know, we, they, they, uh, they had the lunch and, you know, Nico and, you know, Eric and I sat at the table while people just came up and talked to Eric and sort of ignored us. And Nico and I sort of looked at each other and ate and, you know, I, uh, you know, When I finished what I was saying, I kind of stood up and, you know, nobody's really paying attention to me, but, you know, I still felt the sort of need to say it to whoever was listening. And I said, a friend of mine died from cancer yesterday. For two days, I've been listening to presenters tout this new technology. They'll outsource work to machines and amateurs and all I can think of. Find a cure for cancer. And then I'll be fucking impressed. And then I wiped my mouth on that fancy cloth napkin, stood up, walked out of the Palace Hotel and took Bart back to Oakland. So the uh, the outcome of this was, you know, unexpected. Like, I did not think, Nico and I had, and even Eric, we had no, there was just no way they would fuck with Eric. There was just no way that they would fuck with Eric. I mean, even Uber, as despicable as they are, and they're always just being raked from the media as being so fucking despicable. Like, they would not fuck with this guy, but they did. But they, 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 they 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 took him off the platform. He couldn't drive anymore. They cut him off. It seemed like such a
2: bad move. I mean, they're under the microscope in that moment. He's got all the stress. Why? This exactly. So Why stupid. would they
1: fucking do that? Yeah. It was unbelievable. He drove around the city for three hours with that app on. They never got a single ride. He was asking other drivers, "Hey, are you getting? Yeah." So then he he met up with, with with Nico and Nico was an Uber driver too, and they went over to his house, they put their phones next to each other, they turned them on, and Nico kept getting riding quest after ride requests after ride requests But David I mean Eric got none. So they did. They they cut him off. So then I uh you know I um I called Joe Castellano at the at the Examiner, my paper, at first, and, and to give him the the um, the, uh, the story first, so he could break it, and then uh, everybody picked it up after that: Business Insider, Fortune, the Chronicle. Even though I we'd called the Chronicle after the Examiner, we sort of we were kind of trying to decide who to sort of pass it on to. And uh, the tech writer for the Chronicle, Catherine Said, is just, oh, my God, she is like an Uber shill. She was actually a dick to Eric on the phone, saying it was like your fault or some shit like that. It was ridiculous. And uh, anyway, so the story got out. And, uh, you know, Eric told me, after I, I talked to Eric that night, and he told me that some high-level official at Uber kept leaving him messages, but he was, like, afraid to answer. Like, he didn't want to talk to them without you know, he didn't want to talk to him by himself, right? But they were just yeah. leaving messages saying they wanted to quote unquote discuss the situation. So uh, you know, he never returned their calls. But he talked to Tim O'Reilly, who'd reached out to him, right? The, the founder of the convention and the O'Reilly Media. And uh, Tim offered to go with him to the Uber offices to Travis Kalanick, the CEO at the time, who's since been fired. And like I said, Tim O'Reilly is a big fucking deal. Like he's not like famous, like this GEOs and Google and all that, but Tim is a big fucking deal in tech. He's been there for like 20 something years. So that's, that was huge. I was like, Holy shit. I go, can you invite me? <laughs> can I go to you? Eric, tell him you'll we'll go unless I go, you know, I wanted to be there because that was going to be interesting. Right. But, uh, they, they, uh, after the examiner, him hit the next day, uh, Uber, um, you know they uh they said that there was some sort of mix up with the app that eric had also been signed up for uber eats or something like that they said that some wires got crossed whatever it was bullshit Uh obviously Uh but that was their excuse (laughs) yeah uh, turned his phone back on and reinstated him as a driver and uh the next uber atrocity happened and everybody moved on right that's the end of that story
0: Oh, thanks for listening to 2Paychecks podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can find zines by Kelly DeSaint on Etsy. Uh, This was a part of Piltdown Lad. You can find Kelly DeSaint's zine behind the wheel on Etsy.com, and you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And YouTube.